It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. Uh, you can find everything I'm doing currently over on patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. Also, Dynasty Trades in 5. We live stream every single Tuesday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, talking Dynasty Trades, Dynasty Strategy, bunch of stuff that we cover on this show, expanded on Dynasty Trades in 5, so check that out. Check out everything over at Destination Devi at patreon.com slash all gas, especially the Heisman. If you can join the Heisman tier, it's the best money you will spend in Dynasty. Interactive daily in the voice chat, talking a lot of this same stuff. Quite frankly, a lot of my ideas for the show and a lot of the stuff that I want to go research myself comes from the discussion in the Heisman voice chat. So check that out again, patreon.com slash all gas. And then finally, I do want to plug the warp tool. Uh, last week's show was a major success. Got a ton of follow-up questions. Got a ton of people that decided to check out the warp tool. It is southharmonff.com. Check out the warp tool. You can sign up for a month for $6.99. Give it a try. Plug in your leagues. See what they look like. Go through your roster construction. Look at the historical warp data. See if some stuff pops up that you have questions about. Uh, shout out to Dynasty Koopa on Twitter. Koopa Troopa 8 on Discord. Um, he will be coming on my Patreon show on Dynasty and Chill uh, this week. Talking more about the roster construction component of the warp tool. Talking more about the warp tool. That is my mission is to make that digestible, accessible, and actionable for everybody that is out there just playing in leagues. Whether you're in five leagues, two leagues, 50 leagues, whatever it might be, I want to bring that to the Dynasty space in a way that everybody can relate to it. I know other people have covered it. I've actually listened to some really good shows and really good podcasts historically of people that have talked about it, but I want to try to marry it together. I think it, it goes in conjunction with a lot of what I've already talked about from a roster construction standpoint, from a Dynasty process standpoint. So I think it's something we're going to continue to do. Uh, so every show, there's going to be something talking a little bit about warp. So I'm going to talk about that in the second part of the show today. Uh, the first part is going to be a Q&A show. Um, I've collected some questions from a couple different individuals that reached out to me with random questions. One thing that is a blessing and a curse of being a Dynasty content creator is you do get a lot of questions. I would say on a weekly basis, I'm probably getting 200 direct messages. And I try to get back to as many as possible. Sometimes it's difficult. Uh, but there are some questions in there where I go, wow, that's really one that makes me sit there and think, uh, your random trade questions or random A or B questions or should I do X or should I do Y or what does this sound like or does this sound like a good idea? Sure, those ones I can usually just pop in, give quick answers, pop out, and it's not something I need to sit there and study. But for some questions I get, I go, wow, that's something very thought-provoking. And those are ones where I actually want to dive in a little bit more. Um, and I have a couple of those today. I have another one that I wanted to review uh, based off startup strategy. We had a listener uh, that I definitely have seen in our live streams. I've seen in the wake up chat. I've seen in a lot of different dynasty chats uh, and live streams on YouTube, but popped in and talked about a startup that he did 
on how it was very well executed and he went through and posted, you know, kind of how he had done it. And I think it's good to talk about being able to do that now as compared to when I talked about it back in February. Uh, If everyone remembers, I released that. This is my ideal startup strategy, but that was in February. That was speaking of all the variants that can happen between February and the start of the season. Well, now we're almost in June. Things have changed. All the free agency moves have happened. Rookie drafts have happened. We're into the point where things are starting to settle in now from a from a market perspective, a lot closer to what they will be to start the season. So I want to talk a little bit about how my strategy would change in a startup if we're going to do it today versus if we were going to do it back in January or February, where obviously there is a bigger edge then knowing, hey, I can take on future picks, I can kind of punt picks based on people's preferences of players then, knowing how much can change. Well, if you're doing it a month before the season, a lot of that is gone. A lot of that variance that can just naturally take place is removed. So you have to be dialed in a little bit more. Maybe my strategy is tweaked just a little bit. So I'm going to talk about that in this show. And then obviously go through a couple questions that I got that really are good discussion points and topics that made me sit back and think. So I figured I would bring my answers to the show for that. I'll probably go a little bit under an hour, uh, just given that last week's show was a marathon. I hope everybody was able to listen to America's Game this week. Uh, we talked more about Warp. Check that out. It came up on Saturday, or at least posted on Saturday. But we talked more about Warp. And again, I don't want to do an entire show every single week talking about Warp. I want to mix it in. I want to get Adam and Mike back on and talk about it since it is hosted over on their site, southharmonff.com. But I want to deliver it in spurts. You know, I want to put it out there, let people think, let people come back to me and say, hey, I bought the tool, tried it out, plugged my leagues in, and wow, this is something that stood out to me. Had quite a few of those over in our Patreon chat at Dynasty and Chill this week. Uh, And it's eye-opening. It's eye-opening to put that in there and see the results, and you go, wow, that's intuitively something that I've already known, but here's like some data that actually is in front of me that kind of speaks towards it. So good stuff. Continue to provide that feedback. Uh, support South Harmon and Dynasty Koopa and what those guys are doing. Uh, really a good group of uh, people that are looking at Dynasty in a very similar way to me. Uh, so check that out again, and we'll talk about that a little bit in the second part of today's show. So to the questions, Um, I have three different questions. Two of them are going to be organic topics that I wanted to talk through. And the third is going to be the startup strategy question uh, that I had gotten from a listener about how to do it differently and essentially how he did it in this part of the season rather than doing it back in January or February where we're coming right off of a season where results just came in. We're not really sure how to digest them and we have no clue what projections are going to look like for 2023. So we'll talk about that in the Q&A session. But the first question today comes from Matt Conway at Conway226. He says, hey, Scott, would you trade away the 109 and the 110 for Devante Smith? And when I usually get a question like this, just a basic trade question, I always need to ask for more context. I need to ask, what's the format? What are the settings? What is the scoring? How many roster spots? Here, I don't have that. So I didn't pry and I didn't say, okay, I have 10 more questions before I can actually answer your question. Uh, But I gave an answer and I want to talk a little bit more about what context may change the answer uh, with some of the different questions that I would have asked typically when I respond to a question like this. So we're talking about a 12-team Superflex, 1.5 tight end premium, 109 and 110 for Devontae Smith. No other context. So I wasn't given how many roster spots. I wasn't given how many starters. Uh, And those are questions that I would ask. And I want to just talk through why it matters and why the answer could definitely change when you change those variables. 
Uh, what he also says is, I have a solid team. So I didn't pry and I didn't ask, okay, what does solid actually mean? You know, how many wins did you have last year? Where did you finish? None of that. And the additional context that he did add was looking to consolidate a bit. And after I had said no, he had simply replied and said, why not? So here's what I'm sitting here thinking about. So I have a, what I would call a solid team. Don't know any other context. I'm sitting on pick four, nine, 10, and 11. So without really knowing any other context with that, probably at four, I know that's not going to be a wide receiver. So forget about four at this point. That's probably going to end up being Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or Jameer Gibbs. If you really, really had a good QB room, I can understand somebody taking Gibbs over one of the QBs. I know I talked about doing that on the last America's game. Only one league I did it, but it was one where I kind of knew the league. I knew that I probably had to try to take that shot, just given where the quarterback market was and given that I already had two really elite quarterbacks in that league. But for the most part, I'm taking the quarterback there. But then you sit with this conundrum. Pick 9, 10, 11. Uh, if you go by what's typically going in that range, uh, you're probably sitting on the first round receivers going back to back to back in this range. As bad of a decision as it probably is, someone is likely to take Dalton Kincaid with one of those picks. So in this question, I already know that I probably are going to have at least two of those first round receivers on my team. Then I'm probably going to be stuck at the 111 if the team at the 107 or 108 did not take Dalton Kincaid, then that's probably going to be the next best player off the board. So what do I do? Do I trade the 9 and the 10 for Devontae Smith? That was essentially the question. Now, I didn't go back and forth with Matt too much on this specific question, but I just said, can I use this as a discussion point? I probably would have traded the 10 and the 11 for Devontae Smith. I could stomach that. Now, obviously, the questions that I would ask would be, how many starters are there? How many roster spots are there? If you're talking like an FFPC format or something of that nature where it's really shallow, uh, we're talking like standard FFPC too. So we're talking like just super flex FFPC where it's only eight starters. We're not talking about the, the triflex leagues, but even in the triflex formats where it's start 10, 20 man rosters, getting the two for one in this range, if it was pick 10 and 11 would be advantageous simply because of two factors. One, you're feeling confident that you're not giving away two first round receivers. Second, the, what you can pick up off waivers is pretty strong in this format because it's only 20-man rosters. I think that's the biggest factor when you're doing two-for-one trades like this. A lot of people would call this a quote-unquote leverage trade, but when you're looking at the leverage, you have to make sure you are keeping the leverage when you're getting the two-for-one. I think that's the biggest misnomer about leverage trades. It's about, I need to be getting the two-for-one. I need to be getting at least one piece, but if not two pieces that have the potential to be equal or equivalent to the piece that I'm trading away. In this case, if you just pull up the warp graph, again, referring back to the warp graph, I'm pulling up a league that is PPR for wide receivers. And as you can see, the wide receivers really do flatten off from a warp standpoint, right? When you get around like wide receiver 12 all the way to wide receiver 30. This league specifically, when you look at the warp, you're probably somewhere between like 0.9 and 1.2 warp for all the receivers within that range. Which what that tells you is that, okay, yes, I'd prefer Devontae Smith. He's a clear-cut top 15, top 20 receiver easily, not just from a value perspective, but even from a production standpoint, even if him not being the best receiver on his own team. But he probably is a really good bet to be in that range. 
it's probably difficult for him to jump much higher than that range. At the same time, you're essentially getting two shots at what you hope receivers are. They're already valued in that range. Whoever you get, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnston, whatever are the two that are available to you at that 109 and 110. Because again, two of them are going to be guaranteed to be available for you there. Whatever two I get, they probably occupy a very similar spot. Now, could they end up being just complete busts, bad players that fizzle out of the league? Like, could one of them be Jalen Rager? Sure. Could one of them be Corey Coleman? Sure. Like, there are players in that range where we think, okay, they have this bulletproof profile, but then they literally just don't make it. They don't ever become even close to what we would call a threshold receiver. But that's not probably a great bet, knowing what we know about first-round receivers. Now, are you betting that they become a difference-making receiver? Top 10? Top 5? That's a really hard bet to make. In fact, it's really hard to make pretty much in any class, no matter who the prospect is. It's even hard to say that JSN ever hits into that range. And he's a guy clearly going as the wide receiver one in every draft, uh, at least that I've seen, going as the wide receiver one in this year's class. But even that's a stretch to say, oh, I know for sure that he's going to be in that range. But in this case, the reason that I would say I wouldn't do it is simply for that. We've probably seen the peak for Devontae Smith. Not that he can't have a season that is a top 10 season. Sure, he's capable of that. Maybe with an A.J. Brown injury or something that might go his way, possible. But he's most likely just going to fall into this range. So how much do you value that? And I would say, given where the current dynasty market is, we probably overvalue the assurance that our receiver is not going to bust because it feels terrible when you draft a guy like Quentin Johnston or Zay Flowers or Jordan Addison, and then they become Jalen Rager. It feels horrible. You're like, man, I really, really gave away that shot at getting a guy that was usable, that was good, that the market liked. All right. So it does feel bad to bust on one of those, but you're not taking a massive gamble by picking any of them. In fact, you're probably taking the safest gamble of this draft class, given where they're already valued and given what would be deemed a successful outcome for those guys. If they are a top 24 wide receiver, if they become Brandon Ayuk or Jerry Judy, like those are fine. That's pretty much what you're drafting them for. And the argument could be made, hey, I really don't want to draft that type of player in a rookie draft. But in this year's class, there really isn't anybody else to take. So you're just going to gravitate towards, okay, if I have three of those picks, the nine, the 10, and the 11, If I can get two first-round receivers, which is essentially what I said to Matt, is I'm getting two first-round receivers likely with those picks, I don't want to give up a two-for-one for for Devontae Smith. Now, if I could kick one of those picks down to the 111, I probably know that I'm going to have control over the 109 and the 110. And so if I could trade away the 111, especially if it's the 110 and the 111, I get the first shot before the person that I traded to can pick. In that case, sure. You could end up picking whatever first-round receivers left. Let's say it's Quentin Johnston, and you still have Devontae Smith. I'm fine with that. Otherwise, you're probably looking at being stuck with one of those picks and now hoping you can move it to somebody that does value one of the other running backs or does value Dalton Kincaid. So I know this was just a basic trade question, talking about two picks that I'm likely to be able to snag first-round receivers for a receiver that's already established. But go check any league that's PPR scoring. And even if there's point per carry or there's two PPR for tight end, those seem to be the two most common wrinkles in leagues from a scoring standpoint. It actually just makes the receivers a little bit less valued and it makes them even flatter. So I think that's the biggest thing. I think we get way too caught up in chasing receivers that are essentially just safe. 
Receivers that I know I can count on to get me that 14.2 fantasy points per game. I know they're probably going to finish inside the top 24. And listen, you need those guys. But I've been harping on this idea for years, and this is the best spot still the best spot to do leverage trading is looking at the wide receiver market, looking at the warp curve in your league and saying, okay, this is what the warp curve looks like year over year. It's very, very flat in these ranges. So then you go to the dynasty market and you say, where are the players in that flat range that I can consider selling? And where can I essentially do a leverage trade where I end up with an extra piece? Because here's what I would do if I'm in Matt's situation. If I can move that 110 and 111 for Devonte Smith. Sure. I'll just pick the first round receiver at the 109. I know I'm going to get one based on the numbers. Perfect. If I can't do that, what do I do with pick 9, 10, and 11? Sure. I want to come out of that range with one of the first round receivers, but can I move one of those picks for one of the trades that I've talked about on the last couple episodes? Can I move the 110 and a future second to get a first that I think projects to be inside the lottery next year? And whether you have a lottery or not, I talk about just a first that's going to miss the playoffs. And then however the draft order is determined in your league, you can say, okay, maybe this pick has a chance to be the 102, the 103. Even if it isn't, even if it's the 104, 105, the team that just misses the playoffs by a game or two gets you the 104, gets you the 105. That pick still, if you look back at the numbers, especially looking back at the warp episode that I did last week talking about those draft picks, that pick is just way more valuable. Now, in certain classes, it's going to be supremely valuable. This year, you're getting C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. Really valuable pick because you're getting a quarterback. You're getting one of those high warp potential quarterbacks. Even if they're not difference-making quarterbacks, if you just hit on a top 18 or better quarterback, historically, that's the biggest hit based on last week's data. So again, in some years, the 105 might not have a quarterback, but it might have another skill player that people see as a difference maker. Could be a running back, could be a tight end, whatever it might be. This is where you got to know your format and you got to understand that gap between the early first or the early to mid first and one of these late firsts. And I think a lot of people still are trying to play the, well, man, I'm giving you the 109 this year. I'm giving you the 110 this year. And Matt's circumstance here, 110, 111, if I can't combine both of those picks to get one singular piece. And again, even if this is a shallower league, if I can do that, that roster spot that I free up by not adding two players with that 110 and 111 is worth more than if you have 30-man rosters. In 20-man rosters, I'm going, man, I'm actually excited to pick up a player. It's probably a player, especially if you study these warp graphs, where literally it's just flat. People are rostering 50 players around the league that are equal to that guy that I'm picking up in an FFPC league. And that's the reality. So those top-end waiver players actually have more value to the teams that actually have the roster spots to plug them in. If you're the team that is maxed out on roster spots and you have all the late round picks in an FFPC league and you've had 28 players before you have to make cutdowns, you are literally just pissing away value when you go to cut those down. The only value that you have is I have an entire summer to roster more than the roster limit and hope things break my way and I get a little bit of an advantage in terms of refining which 20 players I actually keep. But I'm not really gaining anything unless I can kick that value to the future. So one of those leagues, sure, this type of deal would be advantageous. In Matt's league, if it is a 12-team start 12, 30-man roster league, I'm not even considering this trade, no matter where my team is. No matter if my team is the best team in the league, all I need is one more quote-unquote top 20 plug-and-play starter. 
Nope, still not doing it. And it's just the opportunity cost of what I could rather do with those draft picks. So in his case, if I can move the 110 and the 111, sure. But ideally what I would do is I would pick the first round receiver at the 109 and literally look for the quote unquote anti-leverage trade that I talked about last week with the major payoff at the end where I'm trying to get that top pick in 2024, essentially using my later first plus another player. And it's more advantageous to do it when you have shallower benches. Because really what I'm giving up in terms of that second piece, the quote-unquote leverage piece, I can replace it with a lot more value based on what's on the waiver wire. So a good question. Talked almost 15 minutes about that specific question. But I think it was one of those where it would appear on paper that it was anti-leverage trade. But when you start thinking about it, there's other context that you have to have before you pull the trigger on that type of deal. Uh, But I think when you're looking at leverage trading, you see a lot of bad processes with leverage trading. Just because you're getting the two for one doesn't always mean it's successful. And in this case, the context of whether I'm a win now team or something like that, it doesn't really matter. Because understand, just because you are a win now team doesn't mean you go after the best player. And we have the next question that's actually going to lead right into this to where, yeah, I'm a win now team. Sure, Devontae Smith looks better in my opening day lineup than Quentin Johnston or Jordan Addison does. But in the long run, is it really going to be that big of a difference? I traded for something that I feel safer about. And as soon as you start attaching like safety, safety value or guaranteed starting value with quarterbacks, when you start attaching value to those in your leagues where you start kind of swaying away from the process a little bit. So good question. Shout out again to Matt Conway at Conway226 on Twitter, hopefully talking through that one, whether you agree or not, or however you proceeded with the trade. Um, It definitely helped me walk through and just kind of talk how I would approach a question like that uh, when you're talking about a leverage deal or an anti-leverage deal in this case that you ask me. So thank you again for the question. Uh, The next one comes from uh, Jinbei Pak, and that's at JBPAK5 on Twitter. And I hadn't heard from him before, uh, but he messaged me and said, Hey, Scott, I am not a portfolio player. I'm actually only in one league. How should I use your advice on Dynasty Trades in 5, Destination Devi, etc. in that case? And this is one where I sat here and goes, well, you know what? It's interesting because I've told people flat out, if you're only in one league, if you're only in two leagues, I'm not the person to come to and say, what should I do? A or B? What should I do? X or Y? go path one, go path two. Like I'm not the best analyst, quite frankly, to answer that question. And I'll admit that as much. You know, when someone comes to me and says, this is my home league, it means everything for me to win. What should I do? My gut says this. I'm not going to say go against your gut. What I try to do is I try to educate people that are only in one league, two leagues, or 10 leagues, 20 leagues, 50 leagues, all the same way. And it's just trying to make database decisions But ultimately, Dynasty is a fun game, and I think we have to remember that. A lot of people got into this for fun. A lot of people do not put up the type of money that myself and others that listen to this content or are producing content for DD do. So it's not the same scope as to why they might be playing. So we have to remember that they ask questions from a different place sometimes. I just want to have fun. I just want to do what I want. I just want to go after the players that I want to root for. I don't want to go after this player because I don't like them. Whatever your reasoning is, Whatever your justification is, that's fine. What I try to do is, regardless of whether you're a portfolio player, even though a lot of times it feels like I am speaking 
a language that is meant for somebody that is in a ton of leagues. You know, I'll sit there and say, I'm doing this, and that's because I'm in 20 leagues. I can make this move over and over and over and over, and I'm just playing the odds, and I think I have a 65% chance of winning this kind of deal. So in my head, if I do it 20 times, 13 of them are going to come out successful. I'm going to win across my portfolio. Now there's going to be probably seven losers in there that I'm going to have to figure out how to recover from, but we don't really talk about that. And then how do you react to somebody that says, I don't have a portfolio. I have one trade. Sure, you can show me over a long period of time, over many, many moves like this, the percentages say I should do it. But I just don't really feel like I can do it. I don't feel right about it. It's not something that I want to do. And I think that's fine. Ultimately, if that is your decision, all I would say is just understand the data behind your decision, even if you're only making one decision. There are many things in life where we make decisions based on in the moment, it's our only time making this decision, and someone might be chirping in our ear going like, that's not a good decision, that's not the right way to go, I'd say you should do this, best move might be to do this, but that's easy to say when somebody's quoting something that's been studied over a long period of time with a massive sample size, and you're going, hey, I'm the one of one here, this is my only bite at this apple, and I'm going to go with my gut sometimes, we all do that. But I think that's the biggest thing about this topic is, again, the question was, I'm not a portfolio player. I'm only in one league. How do I use your advice? And I think here's the obvious answer. Uh, The real obvious answer is, well, join more leagues. And it's not join more leagues because you want to make more money or it's because you think that one league isn't fun enough. It's not enough for you. I just say join more leagues because to me, what I got into Dynasty to do was to have fun. And then I quickly realized that we are playing a game that is based on variants that already exists in our game for many reasons outside of the NFL, right? So you're talking about, we play fantasy football that is usually centered around a finite amount of roster spots with a finite amount of lineup spots. And then the rules dictate that we have to pick players to put in our lineup based on what's obviously an incomplete set of information data that we get every single week. And it's not just the weekly sit starts, but it's literally incomplete data sets of information that we get all year round. Sure, we get a lot of news, but we don't get everything. We actually get very little relative to even what like NFL teams get or what insiders that might be really, really close to a team or a player actually get. So A, we're not getting all the information to make our decisions on, but B, even if we were, there's still variance built into the type of game that we are playing. There's constraints. It's 10 starters. You know how many players are fantasy relevant in a given weekend? It's way more than what's in your fantasy lineups or in your dynasty lineups. So we're already constricting ourselves to amount of variance that we can never overcome without just saying, okay, I have a little information and I have to make an educated guess. But what are the odds that you're making the right move, even on just the most basic decisions of A or B or up or down? It's barely over 50%. Maybe with some of the knowledge and historical data that we have, maybe it's two-thirds of the time we're making the right move, but we're never able to escape that amount of variance. Then you throw in a game that is the NFL, that is NFL football, and there's so many variables that actually impact the results that we get from a fantasy perspective. I mean, just think about how crazy the NFL can be with just who gets the ball, how teams play based on the weather, based on their opponents, based on so many factors that we don't even factor in when we go into the season. When you say, yeah, this player should be worth X or this player should be worth Y, there's so many things we don't even bring into that analysis because there's no way we could actually account for it. 
There's no way we could accurately say, okay, this team has this type of schedule based on the weather conditions or based on, you know, where a team is going to be at a certain part of a season. How much are they going to try? We can do our best guess, but at best, it's just loosely analyzing some of those things and using them to make our mind feel better when we make a decision. Think about like the strength of schedule data. You know, that's one of the things where you look at schedules going through and doing like these underdog drafts. You think you know exactly how those matchups are going to play out towards the end of the year, but you have no clue. You're just trying to give yourself something to say, okay, I need to justify the decision that I just made to pursue some sort of stack or some sort of build. And that's it. You tell yourself the story that goes, yeah, you know what? That might matter. This might matter. So let me go ahead and build my team that way. And that's part of the reason that I enjoy playing in multiple leagues. It's not because, hey, I want to get more money on the table. I want to try to win more money. With the amount of time that I spend on Dynasty, even with how much money I put up to play in the fantasy space, in the dynasty space, the return on investment is probably not that good. In fact, I've calculated before just short periods of time. And you're like, yeah, from all the time I spend making content, playing in my leagues, making trade offers, doing drafts, interacting on social media, interacting in our voice chat, in our various group chats, you're talking about like, I'm making less than 10 cents an hour. Like, it's not the best use of your time. I think we all know that. So it's not where I'm sitting here going, I play in a bunch of leagues because I want to win more money. Sure, that's part of it. It's nice to have 50 bites at the apple to win championships and bring home some money. But to then justify, well, yeah, it's, I play in more leagues because it's about the money, I'm fooling myself. Because really what I'm doing is I'm trying to make it feel like it's strategy. It's making my brain smarter. It's making my brain sharper. That's ultimately the reason why we do it. So to answer Jin's question, just soak in what I say. Soak in what many, many other good content creators talk about when they're talking about portfolio, when they're talking about data-based decisions, and just know the data behind it. Whether you follow it because you're in one league, that's totally up to you. But I think it's sometimes fun to go through and just think about, okay, maybe if I did this in another league or I did this in another league, I can take advantage of it. There's nothing better when you kind of hedge or you play it safe or you play kind of a portfolio strategy and you end up getting it right higher than what most people do. That's one of the more enjoyable parts of playing in a portfolio. But I understand not everybody wants to do that. There's a certain amount of time that goes into it. There's a certain amount of effort. And quite frankly, you have to shift your mind thinking when you're playing in a portfolio, because if you start playing in 30 leagues, what's definitely going to happen is there is going to be an opportunity cost that is lost in terms of the attention you can pay to all 30. I've talked about that many times before. I don't have time to go through each one of my leagues and study all my opponents. I don't have time to go through and study, really, is my league a 12-team league or is the imbalance of assets making it more of like a 6- or 7-team league? Like, I don't have time to focus on those things. So I have to zoom out. I have to have database decisions that I can make without really having to think. Going into it saying, you know what, I'm going to have 26 drafts at one time. I kind of have to have a plan with all 26, and I have to be able to adjust to all 26 without being able to sit there all day while I'm at work or doing whatever and focus on one league. I can't sit there and go, you know what, I'm going to be active when every single pick is on the clock. Ideally, you could do that if you only have one league. If you only have your home league and everybody is around when you're doing the draft, like you can probably sit there and just grind trades back and forth, back and forth. Like You can literally turn over every stone. I can't do that. You lose that when you get into a ton of leagues. So there has to be a trade-off. It's actually detrimental to you if you're in too many leagues, but you don't have a strategy 
or you don't have a process. So if you're going to ask this question, you're going to say, how do I use it if I'm only in one? You can just use it based on a lot of the data that I give or a lot of the analysis that I give. If you go the opposite way, I am never going to blame somebody that says, hey, I'm in one league. This is my biggest league. My gut feeling says this, whatever. I'm probably not the person to ask to break the tie either because I'm not going to be able to add the context. I'm not going to be able to add the closeness of that decision that you might be able to. Now, if you're getting into many, many leagues, you know you're going to lose the ability to really have that gut feeling. You're going to lose the ability to be able to say, okay, I know this is my choice. I'm going to have to live with it. You're going to have to find a way to make database decisions, do it quicker, start gearing your strategy more towards like roster construction and just pure process trades. So you have to pick which one you want to do. If that's for you, a lot of people that I have met that have found me through other avenues have come into this with only one or two leagues. And then boom, they've realized, man, you know, it'd be fun if I could get into like 10 leagues. They don't need 50, they don't need 30, but if they can just get into 10, it gives them enough of a taste of different types of decisions and moves. All of a sudden, they kind of have a mini portfolio and they start to be able to use more of the stuff that I talk about once they've hit that sweet spot. So that'd be my advice for you, Jen. I'm not saying go out and add more leagues, but I think that's exactly how you can use it. Just know it in the background. Know that if there's ever a time where you have to make multiple decisions or you jump in a couple more leagues, even if it's just a couple, knowing the data behind why you're making the decision, don't let that get lost when the outcome maybe isn't exactly what I said it would be. That's just because there is so much variance that happens. There's no way even the best analysts or the best players out there can outrun that variance on a decision-to-decision basis. With that, I want to thank Matt and Jin for the questions. Uh, We'll be back in just a minute after we hear from Underdog. Destination Dynasty is now sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I'm gearing up for Underdog's Fantasy season-long best ball contest a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the Destination Devi team. The best part? If you use promo code CHILL when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to strategize with us in the Destination Devi Discord, where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up, Again, use promo code CHILL to get a 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Debbie Discord. Back to the show. Welcome back. So for the final part of the show today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a third question that I got via DM from 1912 at 1912 Fantasy. Uh, He reached out to me and he said, I've been following your startup strategy show a while back and I'm curious if I did this right thus far. Uh, So 1912 got in a 12-team start 12, two tight end premium. So I'm going to assume 1.5 tight end premium, but a start two. So essentially what I covered on my ideal startup strategy, but you're starting an extra tight end and it's only 1.5 premium. I think those are the only two things that would differ uh, from what I had talked about, I believe in the episode that came out on February 20th. So if anybody wants to refer back to that, I do get questions every once in a while. Hey, where's that ideal startup strategy show? And I believe it is February 20th and it's just titled my ideal startup strategy built. So with this question, 1912 asked, did I do this right? Uh, So here's what he posted. Again, it's start 12, two tight end premium. We're going to talk 30 man rosters here just for the argument's sake in this league. I don't know exactly what it was, but here's what he posted. So he started off at the 103. Uh, He traded up to get the 109 
and ended up taking Deshaun Watson. And at the 103, he took Jalen Hurts. So he started out perfectly getting the two elite quarterbacks with Jalen Hurts and Deshaun Watson. Then he made two additional trades uh, to trade back. And exactly what I talked about. I want to leave the startups with at least two additional firsts. I don't care if that's 2024 or 2025, uh, but he did just that. He traded back, got an additional 2024 first, and he traded back and got an additional 2025 first. So he started off Jalen Hurts, Deshaun Watson, an extra 24 first, and an extra 25 first. So boom, right there, I feel very confident knowing that I have four first-round picks over the next two years to address the lack of skill players that I might come out of this startup with because I traded away some of my mid-round picks where everyone is likely to take tight ends, wide receivers, and running backs. Now, part of the strategy in January or February is you can much more comfortably make those moves because some of the players that people pick in those ranges, you're like, there's not a huge difference between that wide receiver at the fifth round of the startup and the wide receiver in the eighth round of the startup. They may just be valued there simply because something just happened in the season and we haven't seen free agency or the draft yet. So people have to draft somebody. And it kind of follows with the warp charts, but it makes it even more ambiguous because you look at those flat ranges and you say, I already know the range where I draft this receiver in the fifth or sixth round of the startup is going to be a flat range. Historically, I already know that's a flat range to take a receiver. So I'm much more apt to say, you know what? I don't need to pick here. I'll pick in two or three rounds and I'll still take a receiver. And there's a really good chance that I end up with a receiver that occupies a similar spot within my roster construction. But that's heightened in January or February because who the receiver is going to be or where they're going to end up settling when you get to July or August, it's even more up in the air then because we're so far away. There's so much that's going to take place from January or February until the beginning of the season. So you leverage that even further and you go, you know what, in in that time of year, I don't even want to pick in those ranges. So I'm even more comfortable trading up and trying to get the second elite quarterback and then trading back. If you recall in the show that I did, I traded up with my second, my third, and my fifth round first round startup. And I traded up to get an extra first, and then I wanted to get two picks back. That's one of the golden rules, is I don't want to do a three for one or a three for two. I need to get startup picks back. I don't care if that's an eighth rounder, if that's a tenth rounder, ninth rounder, an eleventh rounder, whatever. In this case, it's a start 12 with two tight end premium, which means it's just going to push a lot more players kind of into that flat range, which is good. That's a better format to even take advantage of this. Because getting those picks, the 8th, the ninth, the 10th, the 11th, like those picks are even more valuable because there's more players lumped into this range. So that's exactly what he did. He made those two trade backs to get an extra first, one in 24 and one in 25. And then he posted all the picks that he had after the first round. So again, he got Jalen Hurts at the 103, Deshaun Watson at the 109. Didn't pick again until round seven. But here's what he ended up with. The 703, the 704, so two sevenths. The 801, the 804, and the 810, so three eighths. The 903, which was one of the picks that he had already. The 1004, which was his pick that he had already. And then two 11th rounders, the 1103 and the 1106. So if you count them up there, the 103 and the 109, and then between round seven and round 11, he ended up with nine more picks. So boom, in the first 11 rounds, he had 11 picks. Didn't lose any picks. All he lost was the potential preference 
in a lot of those zones where people go, man, I know I want to pick in that range. You can go a pick three rounds later. So he not only achieved the first round trade up to get the two elite quarterbacks, he traded back to get the extra two first rounders and still made 11 picks in the first 11 rounds. So if you just think about that from a theory perspective, he put a ton of pressure on a couple other teams that decided to go and pursue non-quarterback picks in that range. All they got was the preference. They gave away the elite quarterback advantage and they also gave away their future picks. So I'd be curious, I don't have the information as to what the teams that gave up their future first traded for. Like, what did their start to their draft look like? But man, just think about that. I would hate to trade away my future first in a deal where I know there's a team that's built like this. There's just so much insulation with the way that he's built his team. Because even if he misses on some of these players, and I'm going to go through the players in just a second, even if he misses on some of these players, he has four firsts to essentially surround his already solid quarterback room that should be stable for the next couple years, easy, with just best skill player available. I mean, look what I talked about earlier in the episode today with the trade on the 109, 110, 111. Like, that stinks if you're stuck with all your rookie picks being 109, 110, 111. But you know what? In most classes, guess what? I can pick a flatlined warp receiver in that range. I can pick a running back in that range. I'm never worried that I go into future drafts and there's just no talent for me to pick. If I have a first rounder, there's going to be talent for me to pick. What I don't want to happen is go into a league in the future rookie draft and say, I need two quarterbacks. Now I'm really, really stuck with needing to be in a certain range or I'm not going to be able to get those quarterbacks. All the leverage that I accumulated in the startup, if I don't have a second quarterback and I get stuck with the 109 and the 110, all the leverage I got, all that ambiguous leverage that I acquired last year, it's gone. Because I have to give up both of those picks plus probably to move up into the top two or three to grab the quarterback that I was hoping that I was going to get from the beginning. And I think that's the biggest thing people don't think about. Forget about who the players are. Just think about how drafts typically go. If you go into it and you go, man, I, you know what? I'm an elite quarterback away from being a really, really strong contender. Well, how are you going to get that elite quarterback? Most likely outside of a startup, you are going to get anti-leveraged to death in a trade. And that's fine. If you are in a league that's been around for three years and someone's willing to trade Josh Allen or Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert, you're probably going to have to give up three or four pieces to get them. That's fine. But that's an existing league. That's not in a startup. That's where you kind of already know where the resources are allocated. You can comfortably go, you know what? This is going to be the one time that Justin Herbert's going to come available. I'm going to put together a package. You probably have to give up at least a three for one or a really strong two for one, maybe more than a three for one. We acknowledge that in an existing league. So why in a startup would we ever try to get anything close to that? If anything, I just want to, hey, give me three pieces back. I'll give you the three stronger pieces, but just think about how you don't get leveraged in a startup if you can pull off the strategy that I talked about in the February 20th episode. So 1912 did a great job doing that. He executed the first two parts perfectly, trading up for the quarterbacks, trading back, acquiring the future picks, and not losing any picks in the prime rounds of the startup. So here's who he drafted. Jalen Hurts to Sean Watson. Then he hammered receivers. Jamison Williams, Brandon Ayuk, Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson, Rashad Bateman. Now think about those names, right? Jamison Williams, Brandon Ayuk, Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson, Rashad Bateman. I can squint and say all of those guys can literally be top 30 receivers. Some of them have been, some of them currently are. 
But if there's a theme with those five receivers, there's some stink on all of them, which is the reason they were available there. I bet you if I looked at this board, a bunch of receivers went in round four, round five, that people just think are flat out better than those guys. But the reality is they're just more preferred. Maybe they're safer. Maybe people think they have higher upside, whatever it might be. But there's stink on all of those receivers that he picked. But I think historically he got really good value by picking good players in that range. Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson, Brandon Ayuk, historically good producers. Maybe their situations aren't perfect. Maybe their projection for 2023 isn't great. But he got good players there. So you're just kind of taking a risk that, hey, they're filling that placeholder of what I know I'm going to need to be competitive. Because ideally here, the Jalen Hurts to Sean Watson combo is going to make up a little bit for what I lose by not being able to pick my preference in those mid rounds. But all I need these guys is to just kind of fill that placeholder. You know, it doesn't mean they're difference makers. It doesn't mean I'm drafting them to be difference makers. But the idea is he got good value on those names. And then he just took shots at Jamison Williams and Rashad Bateman. I'm fine with that. He also took Darren Waller. Also got a third quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. And then he also took a running back with Dalvin Cook. Now, people will say, oh man, why'd you take Darren Waller? Why'd you take Dalvin Cook? This is a productive struggle. I think that's the biggest thing. This is not a productive struggle strategy. This is a, I'm going to try to win. I'm going to try to roster construct correctly within my format. I'm just going to do it with probably a little bit lesser players in year one. But guess what? All I need is some things to go right, which is why this is such a good strategy to do in January and February, because things can go right for you without even having to get any different players. You just have to be right on a couple things that maybe everyone else thinks they know is going to happen, and then they don't end up happening. So Dalvin Cook is a great example on that. Um, he did get a third quarterback with Aaron Rodgers, so I like that. Again, he's going down the road of really good roster construction. Now, there's going to be some holes in this team. It's a two-tight end league. So there's probably going to be some holes at tight end. Uh, There's probably going to be some running back issues at the top end if Dalvin Cook is your best running back. But again, if I'm going to punt a position in this type of format where it's start 12 and it's start two tight end, it's going to be running back. I'm going to be willing to just go into the season going, you know what, Dalvin Cook is my best running back. Maybe James Conner is my second best running back. And then I'm going to roster construct to where I have a bunch of bodies at running back. I'm going to have enough tight ends to get me through my start two. So maybe I roster like five or so, and that's it. I'm going to roster enough receivers to fill my flexes and that's it. Every other spot is going to be a running back. So I think he knows how to roster construct. I know he's listened to a lot of our shows and stuff before, uh, but this is almost a perfectly executed strategy on paper. This is not going to look like the team where you go, man, that's the favorite to win the league. And to be fair, if you look historically back at what won last year, the biggest threat to a team like this is going to be the team that went the opposite. They didn't get the elite quarterbacks, but they hit on the couple quarterbacks that were able to match a few of the elite guys from a warp standpoint. They were able to do it at a much cheaper cost. That's the only team that I'm worried about. I still wouldn't sway building this way, though, because I will tell you, And anyone that's gone against this type of strategy will realize it's really hard to pick which guys that's going to be. Last year, it was Jared Goff. Last year, it was Geno Smith. This year, it could be Russell Wilson. This year, it could be Kenny Pickett. But you have to pick those guys. If you pick those guys and you pick wrong, that team is the one that's in trouble. That's the team where you're going, man, what do I do with a Russell Wilson, Mac Jones quarterback room? How do I fix it? How do I fix it when that team finished at the 107? There isn't an obvious answer because there isn't the ability to pivot upwards from one of those quarterbacks to the elites. We know that doesn't work. 
So I think this is still the preferred strategy. And I just want to give a shout out to 1912 that he executed it properly. Now, what would I change if I'm doing this in May or June? Because I will acknowledge that some of the edge in terms of the players you're picking isn't as good now versus what it is in January or February, because people are a lot more dialed in on what some of the situations are and where players should be valued. It's like the wild, wild west when you're picking in January or February, especially when you're picking kind of this dead zone range of running backs and receivers and even tight ends in a format like this. I can just take advantage of the fact, sure, you want to get all your guys? Give me the extra value and I'll just take the other guys that are, I think could be in the same tier. So it's literally just leverage trade after leverage trade after leverage trade. And it's not even trades. It's more just leverage decision after leverage decision if you're doing one of these startups early. But let's say you're doing it now. Or let's say you're doing one of these in August. Now you're to a point where you're really close to the season. Maybe some injuries have already happened. Maybe some reports on who's going to be playing where has already happened. There's a lot of projections out there to where you're kind of confident with maybe what the numbers are going to look like. How does it change? So I think in that regard, you probably have to lean a little bit more into the expectation that this is going to be a productive struggle. But again, speaking to what I talked about a little bit earlier with the variance in the sport, I still wouldn't panic. It's harder to do it. I would prefer to do this earlier in the year, but I still think what you get in terms of roster construction value and some of the leverage value that you get by trading back and getting the future first, A, we know based on last week's show that I talked about, it is more advantageous to have those picks during the season if you have an active market. So if this was an active market where there's a bunch of teams that kind of went like all in and you said, you know what, I'm able to get those future picks. Even if I don't have the sexiest skill players, if I have those future picks, there could be a window where I go during the season, man, I didn't plan on contending this year, but there could be a spot where I trade away a future first or I trade away a future couple seconds to try to get some points. And if I don't, oh, well, I still have my construction in the right place where I'm comfortable kind of playing for the year after. But maybe there's an opportunity where I get into the playoffs and then there's a chance for maybe me to win when I didn't expect it. So I think that's the major takeaway from this is you are storing some of your value when everybody else is drafting like they're surely knowing what they're getting, you're storing it in a spot where you have strength in your roster construction, but you also have strength and I don't have to make the decision right now. And I believe this is going to become a theme over the next year or two in Dynasty from the average player, understanding the value of deferring a decision to a later time. Because if we start understanding just how much data we have out there and how little we actually know that it contributes to the outcome that's actually going to happen, why make the decision earlier than I have to? Why make the decision at a suboptimal time during the dynasty season? And how much value is it to have the ability to make more decisions with all the right information on the table? I've always equated it to blackjack where, you know what, blackjack is an advantageous game for the player to the point where it's the best game to play against the house that there is. It's still not advantageous. It's not over 50-50 for the player, but it's really close. But the best way to equate this to blackjack is when I'm playing blackjack, I want to be able to make the decisions with the most money at stake when I have the better odds. And that's Dynasty in a nutshell. You'd rather use your picks during the season when you have the most information and more importantly, when there's not anybody else that's able to make that move. You know, how advantageous is if you have three firsts during the season and your two biggest contenders already traded theirs away, even if they have a better team you now have the power to make those decisions and you have a lot more flexibility and a lot more options. I think we undervalue that. I think people don't look at that aspect. And again, you got to know your league. Is it a league that's going to allow you to take advantage of that? Or is it just going to be inactive? You got to make some decisions based on that as well. But from a strategy standpoint, 
even if I'm doing a startup in July or August, I'm still approaching it this way simply because I can defer those decisions until really the information is right in front of me. You know, it's week seven and I can make a decision based on what I think is going to happen here in the next month or two. So think about that. Great question from 1912. Uh, great job building this startup. He literally executed exactly how I would. I would love that team coming out of it. So keep me posted on how it goes. And before we finish up today, I just want to plug uh, the show I'm going to be doing with uh, Koopa Troopa or Dynasty Koopa. This is going to be on the Dynasty and Chill Patreon. It's going to be on Thursday night. Uh, that would be May the 25th. We're going to talk about the Warp Tool. Obviously, he's the one that created it. He's the one that put a lot of time and effort into putting this out for the masses to be able to consume. So he's definitely used to getting some of the questions about it and whatnot. Uh, but we're going to talk specifically about the roster construction tab. I haven't dove into this much uh, on the show simply because I want to learn more about how it works and also how I would implement it. I have my thoughts on what I would use this for. Uh, but if you notice, when you plug in your league, you'll see this tab that says roster construction. Then with a bunch of just N values talking about numbers at each position. How do we use that? How do we look at that? How can we take that as a snapshot of how to go back and think about our league? So we're going to cover that on Thursday night. It's going to be a Dynasty and Chill Patreon episode only. Uh, if you're interested in joining for that, let me know. Uh, I may expand that on a future Destination Dynasty episode. Uh, but definitely we're going to be doing that on Thursday night. Uh, patreon.com slash dynasty and chill again everything over at destination Devi. check that out patreon.com slash all gas subscribe to the newsletter which is all gas.beehive.com slash subscribe get something from every content creator at destination Devi uh, every friday morning in your inbox with that i will go ahead and sign off looking forward to the summer uh with stuff with trades in five uh, we're going to be having a mega stream coming up some point on Trades in 5. I don't know the date. I don't know the specifics or the logistics yet. Uh, but it's going to be a mega stream talking about all sorts of topics. So looking forward to that. And then also looking forward to diving more into the Warp Tool and talking more about this in terms of how we can make it actionable to your specific league. Because we have people out here in crazy leagues. We have people out here in 10-team start eight leagues. How can everybody use it to the best of their ability within the scope of their league? So that's something I'm really going to try to focus on over the rest of this summer. I appreciate everybody. Uh, it's been a wild ride here at Destination Devi. I want to thank all the other creators and people over there that have supported me. Really trying to make this unique, not a podcast that you will be able to find anywhere else. So again, feedback's welcome. Let me know if there's anything you want to hear me talk about over the summer, as we do kind of have a dead period here over the next two months or so. I'm going to try to get some guests on over from the team, some outside guests as well. And with that, I will go ahead and sign off. Until next week, be chill. Ain't like only ones I keep around me is